0: Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is with Lindsay Close, and she talks to us about why she got into equine nutrition, her first off-the-track thoroughbred she struggled with, and how she's been working through some fear after an accident. Hope you enjoy. Stable Connections is sponsored by The Equine Creative. The Equine Creative is a full-service graphic design company specializing in logos and branding for equestrian entrepreneurs. With illustrations that honor your heart, your horse, and your hustle, let's outfit your business the way you'd outfit your horse. Please visit www.TheEquineCreative.com to learn more. Stable Connections is sponsored by Chris Ellsworth Horsemanship. What could you and your horse accomplish if you could move past any obstacle in your path? Chris has worked with horses and humans for the past 40 years. Whatever your goals, Chris is an expert at setting you and your horse up for success. Join him for a clinic and experience firsthand, how Chris can support you and your horse. Visit chrisellsworthhorsemanship.com or on Facebook at Chris Ellsworth Horsemanship.
1: Basically, I got involved in horses when uh, I realized that I couldn't own a dolphin. As a <laughs> child, that was my childhood dream was to be a dolphin trainer and do all the things dolphin. That just wouldn't work in my parents' pool in the backyard.
0: Yeah. So. How did that come <laughs> into your trajectory? Did you like see, did you see Free Willy or one of those
1: or? Yep. Yep. Basically, I watched Flipper, Free Willy, and I just loved everything, whales and dolphins. Not necessarily aquatic life. I'm terrified of sharks. Mm -hmm. I don't go to the ocean just for that reason, (laughs) but I just really wanted a dolphin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so how did horses kind of come into the trajectory instead?
1: Yeah, so my parents and my grandparents, we all lived on on some property, and they had horses. My mom was into horses when she was younger, and so they still had all the family horses, and we would go out, and, and you know, they'd time to a tree, and I would sit on them for hours, and that made me happy, but Once the dolphin thing didn't work out, I decided to move forward with the horses and take that a little more seriously than just going out and feeding them treats.
0: (laughs) Yep. And so did you like start taking lessons or what did that look like exactly?
1: Yeah, I started taking lessons when I was about seven years old. We kind of had, you know, kind of the classic backyard horse story, went and took, you know, Western riding lessons, discovered English, switched disciplines to that. And I just rode kind of the lesson barn ponies and had fun on those horses until eventually we saved up to to buy my first horse. She was an Arabian and she was a total sweetheart.
0: And did you do any showing
1: growing up? I did. We showed on the local little pony club circuit and not necessarily 4-H shows or anything but there's a lot of schooling shows around so we kind of hit all those. What
0: area did you grow up in?
1: I'm originally from Auburn Grass Valley area. Okay. So kind of northern foothills California.
0: And are you still up there?
1: Nope. I am now out in the foothills in a little tiny town with one stoplight called Valley Springs. Okay,
0: cool. <laughs> yeah. Still in California though. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you think you wanted to be a vet or a trainer or like did you have an idea?
1: I thought I was going to be a horse trainer and so that was kind of the route I pursued. I ended up working at uh, Morgan Show Barn, just kind of local to, to where my family lived and I also worked at a halter horse barn and they were they were great. I learned a lot. It was a lot of learning behind the scenes, what happens at horse shows and things. And, um, my experiences at the Morgan show barn were, were a little different. I loved that breed of horse, absolutely loved the horse, but maybe not the behind the scenes. So it almost kind of ruined horses for me. And I know it was just, just that incident in that, you know, that barn environment itself and not the industry as a whole. There are super great people in the Morgan industry and great barns, but the one I was in was, was I learned a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: it's unfortunate, but sometimes experiencing something like that is the best way to learn too of maybe what not to do. Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it really kind of awakened my sense of horsemanship and horse welfare. Not that anything crazy was going on, but just that the horses are horses and they're not just a tool to look pretty when clients show in, you know, come to the barn two times a year and expect to win their class we knew more about these horses than their owners did. And and that kind of was a little frustrating, a little hurtful, you know, that they didn't really care about their horses as a horse. It was just something to do recreationally and expect to win at Worlds. And that was it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so after being there for a bit, what was the next step?
1: From there, I started working at a feed store in town. And that was really fun. I spent probably eight years there. Uh, I was there all the way through college, kind of working summers and weekends. And that's, I think, where my interest in equine nutrition started. I knew I didn't want to be a vet. I'm a little bit not into needles and that kind of (laughs) thing. Gotta be into those if you want to be a vet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, kind of a requirement for the job. (laughs) But working at the feed store, we had a lot of brand reps that would come in and teach us about feeds and teach us about horse nutrition and that kind of thing. And Having customers come in frustrated and not know how to take care of their horse and what to do and what to try. So many options. Yes. That was really kind of where that awakened that piece in me of of helping someone else with their horse and getting a result.
0: What's the next step for that? Did you were there like certifications or anything to be a nutritionist?
1: Yeah, so there's kind of some different ways to, to take that road. What I did is I went to I went through the junior college program and studied animal science and equine science and that kind of encompasses everything. It was all the pre-vet course, and then from there, when I transferred, uh, I transferred into Fresno State, and they kind of take it into a, a deeper pre-vet program, okay. or also an equine production, like a barn management program. It was all the same classes, it's just what you did after was, was different, so I specialized in the, the equine production. From there, you have options to go take a master's and you know, search for your PhD and all those things. But that's hard to do in California. There isn't really that option here and I wasn't ready to leave. I stayed here and kind of still study and do a lot of research on my own. Recently did uh, get a certification in equine nutrition from a program offered through Dr. Rachel Mote and it's Legacy Equine Nutrition. And she offers several different classes, courses, depending on what you want to invest and what you want to learn. And so I've gone through both of her equine nutrition certification classes, and it's been amazing. It's completely validated kind of what I've learned at the feed store and how to help those customers. And now I can see from a a deeper scientific standpoint, if you will, why those recommendations worked. Not just, you know, try feeding six pounds of this and great, I'm glad it worked for you. But to know physiologically and, and, you know, why that worked for them, it's been really really cool to kind of come full circle and everything.
0: Yeah. And even probably for your own horse or horses, like
1: just knowing all of that. Yes.
0: And are you still at the feed store?
1: I am not. They are actually one of our current customers. Uh, I work for Elk Grove Milling now, which is most people know them by stable mix and not Elk Grove Milling. (laughs) So I'm on the backside now where we actually manufacture feed and I run the operations and recently stepped into sales management there too. So it's really cool learning about, you know, where things start. We do a lot of farming. We grow our own hay. So it's kind of fun to start, you know, literally from the ground to a finished product to then offer it to customers. It's really awesome.
0: Yeah. And tell me a little bit more about Elk Grove Milling and kind of what they stand for and what they offer.
1: Yeah. So Elk Grove Milling itself has been in business for over 40 years. I've been with them for over eight And I can say through the entire time I've been there, their mantras, you know, the healthier, happier horses and creating complete feeds that fulfill all dietary requirements. And that is something that is very true. I kind of joke with my friends because you hear in in the food industry, a lot of people, you know, work for a food company or food manufacturing and they won't eat that product. Well, I'm involved with the very baseline production of our product, and I feed it at home, and it's it's exactly what I need for my feed program. They do a great job in providing us with education. If I come across something I want to learn more about, I just go to my boss and I let him know, hey, this is something that could help us, could benefit our customers. You know, what do you think? And he's always, yep, absolutely, go learn about it. It's really awesome. His vision has, has been really great and he's super supportive of everyone else.
0: And it's more, it's a smaller company.
1: Yes. Correct.
0: Yeah. Compared to a lot of the other big feed options.
1: Yep. That's kind of funny. Something we always joke about too is we are a very small company with a large footprint. I mean, just for an example, there's only three of us in the office. It's kind of a lot. We all wear a lot of hats. We all have our designated job duties, but really we just kind of keep the wheel moving forward and, and keep it going and make sure we have a consistent supply for everybody.
0: Do you guys do like sponsorships and different things like that?
1: We do. Um, we do offer sponsorships. We do a lot of donation things to raffle baskets, supporting 4-H and FFA groups. We go to fairs and help the the FFA and 4-H kids. So we do kind of try to stay involved in the community. The owner is really big into Rotary and supporting global visions for Rotary and, you know, a lot of humanitarian effort, human and animals. So it's it's yeah, we definitely try to support where we can and and help where we can.
0: Yeah. And it's more than just horse feed, correct?
1: Yes. Yep. We have a full line. I kind of call it, you know, the (laughs) farmyard. Yeah. So we have chicken feed, uh, pig feed, goat feed, sheep feed, cow feed. So we have a little bit of everything, you know, something that's always a concern when people learn that we make livestock feeds. Uh, We are a non-medicated mill, so we, we don't touch medications. We don't have any of that kind of stuff. So we kind of always say, you know, basically all of our feeds are safe to feed cross species. We don't recommend it because there's different nutritional requirements, but you know there there isn't that risk factor there
0: yeah and our horses your main background in education is on with the nutrition or is it all of them
1: mine is horses yes and then we have a couple other team members that we have someone that specializes in livestock she's a registered veterinary technician and You know, she does a lot of the the hog and and beef type things. We have other gals on our team that specialize in the poultry and chicken. So we've kind of have a well-rounded family. (laughs) Cool.
0: And so back to you and your story. So what's been kind of the most shocking or surprising thing when learning about equine
1: nutrition? I honestly think the most shocking thing about equine nutrition is how much people don't know, but think they know. It's kind of a hard gray area to help somebody because they already have an idea of what should be the right direction and it may or may not be but a lot of industry professionals don't actually know equine nutrition and that's hard because as I'm an amateur rider I'm by no means a professional you know if I send my horse away to a barn to a professional trainer I have a certain expectation that my horse is well taken care of but that may or may not be the case So it's, it's just kind of interesting to, to be helping individual horse owners, industry professionals, and see how much of a gap there is, even in, in, you know, veterinary practices, they do learn about equine nutrition, but it's certainly not a focus. Their focus is to keep our horses alive. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, when they It's
0: just kind of like a bullet point yeah, on the nutrition problem. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that was that was another moment in my life I think that really spurred me in the nutrition aspect was I had um My first, I call it my grown-up horse. (laughs) I got a thoroughbred off the track when I was a teenager, and he struggled. I mean, classic thoroughbred story, hard keeper, the whole thing. I was feeding him so much food, premium food, high fat, high fiber, everything that everyone said to feed. I was just kind of researching it one night, and I was just looking at different diets of different horses and sport horses. And mind you, I wasn't showing him hard. He really was just in light. Maybe moderate work at times. He was eating as much as people fed racehorses. And I was like, there's something wrong. And
0: probably still not gaining. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I kept a blanket on him. I was, I was embarrassed. I was like, I know people are judging me because I'm judging me. (laughs) So, you know, I felt horrible, but I was like, what am I doing so wrong? You know, I'm feeding him so much food. So I, I thought he had cancer. I took him to the vet and I was like, can you do some blood work? Something's wrong with him. And they said, no, the blood work came back fine. Just feed him more. I was like, no, I'm I'm feeding him so much there's just no way he physically cannot even digest the amount of food I'm feeding him. Yeah, like him he's
0: not absorbing point.
1: it. Yeah, exactly. Like there's I'm I'm missing a link. And uh, one of my friends, she's a, a professional barrel racer now, but at the time she just said she's like, Hey, have you treated him for ulcers? And I was like, No. What tell me more about that? What is that? And you know, this was several years ago before now today. Yeah. It's it's a thing. But back then, you know, it really wasn't, it wasn't really talked about. And, you know, I was at a vet clinic doing blood work. They didn't present me with that option, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's weird. Treated him for ulcers, put on a ton of weight, never had a problem. So it's just, yeah, you know, that frustration of not having the answers. I went to a professional and they're a great vet clinic. I mean, nothing against them at all, you know, but it was just, it, it wasn't known about really then to really check that box and, and go down that road. And, you know, we kind of learn about things now, a lot of conversation around leaky gut syndrome. The presentation is almost exactly like ulcers, but you can't scope them for leaky gut syndrome. So how do you, so it's just kind of interesting to watch science move forward and realize all these sources are telling us we need to listen to them, but how do we determine what's wrong? You yeah. know, from a clinical standpoint, And it kind of takes both. It takes veterinarians. Absolutely. I would have a lot of issues if I didn't have my veterinarian on, you know, basically on call. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) But, you know, nutrition is such a factor. We were at a a seminar a couple months ago, and, and one of the presenters that was speaking said something that was pretty interesting to me. Both his parents are veterinarians, and he's not. He chose the nutrition focus. And he was saying that nutrition is as much preventative medicine... As anything else we're doing. And that really hit a light bulb for me.
0: It's for humans too. Yeah, Like it's for it. Nutrition plays a part in everything. Your energy, Mm -hmm. like your sleep, like literally everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really kind of a missing link for everybody. A few years ago, I'm a little bit of a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) A few years ago, we were in Kentucky at at a facility that does a lot of uh, micronutrient type yeast type products. And they kind of walked us through the lab and showed us some studies they're working on. And quite literally, they're looking at how nutrition turns on dormant genes in your DNA. And it just, you know, there's so much behind quality nutrition versus just making it buy on something. You know, quite literally, we are not activating parts of our DNA, perhaps, because we aren't eating correctly, doing the right things, you know, so it's just kind of, kind of interesting what is our potential that we haven't possibly touched yet just because of nutrition
0: yeah well I also thought of it in like the opposite way where we you know cancers and different things mm-hmm. like that where all of these foods are igniting things that we don't want
1: yes yes <laughs> <the> inflammatory diet <laughs> yes that
0: one yeah yeah. yeah yeah and did you ever think about doing kind of like the human route of things as well or no
1: I did not, but what's ironic about that is my mother is actually a human nutritionist. Oh, cool. So, yeah, she's a registered dietitian. So, I kind of think, now that I'm a little older, as I look back on life, growing up with my mom, who's very big into health and nutrition and food, and learning that I loved horses and could get away from dolphins, and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it kind of came full circle that I'm just fascinated by equine nutrition, and... It's kinda of the same. You know, there there's obviously a lot of differences between the two, but the general concepts are the same. We have the same building blocks, the same core nutrition that we need, you know, the macro minerals, micro minerals and all the things and quality protein. It's kinda of fun to kinda of play in both worlds and I'll come across stuff and reach out to my mom about it and ask her questions and she'll kinda of give me the human perspective and you know, then I'm like, Well, this is how it works in a horse, you know. Yeah,
0: that's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. fun to be able to do that. And where, do you know of like a good resource for like the common horse owner to be able to kind of educate themselves?
1: Certainly reaching out to kind of university extensions. UC Davis used to have some, Penn State has some where they do free or it's $5 for a session, um, like lunch and learn type webinars you can watch. I would say stay away from Google, stay away from marketing. Really look for some type of university extension program because marketing is designed to sell to you, and they're designed to figure out what their customers' stressors are and what the solution could be. So the right
0: words. To yeah, use.
1: exactly. So be be an educated consumer in that aspect and really know that what they're offering to sell you and kind of lead you into their product is is actually a right fit for you. And like I said, um, Legacy Equine Nutrition has. Just some simple baseline nutrition courses you can take. You can get the certification through the Equine Nutrition Program. Even a lot of universities, now that that COVID happened and the online thing became such a big, big part of our society, a lot of universities offer a lot of stuff online now that wasn't there before. The information's easier to get to, but knowing which information is right is also a challenge. Definitely. Yeah.
0: And I feel like for some reason, at least from my world, I feel like equine nutrition, I haven't heard of that many equine nutritionists. Mm -hmm. Do you know why that is?
1: It's hard to get into, mainly from an education standpoint, just the colleges don't really offer that type of program anymore. The last year that I was at Fresno State, they pretty much absolved their equine nutrition it just wasn't Masters getting program. enough hits. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's because we just as a as an equine society haven't really put the the pressure on that knowledge. And maybe it's expected that the veterinarians should, you know, fully encompass that whole whole thing, but there's too much to know. I mean, we can't expect our veterinarians to know how to keep our horses sound and keep everything functioning. Correctly. And their feet.
0: And their Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have to be realistic on our expectations for professionals, you know, and I think that's where you have your trainer. They know the horsemanship. They know how to, how to get your horse from point A to point B for you. You know, your farrier does a great job keeping your horse sound. Go to your vet to make sure your horse physio- physiologically is taken care of, you know, or diagnose random things. But, you know, don't expect one person to know it all and have a team. And the advantages of that is not everyone sees something the same. And when you have a group of professionals with you, they can work together on a problem. They can see different things, have different input and all that just really helps the whole picture.
0: Definitely. And just having like multiple eyes Mm -hmm. on your horse, just like you're saying with your friend that mentioned the ulcers, like having the right network of people around you that you trust their opinions. Yes, definitely. Do you offer like consults for nutrition?
1: I do. So I do offer consults through Stable Mix um, to any of our barns or customers that use our products. I am a resource for them to reach out to, of course, at all times. Besides that, I do offer private consulting on the side. A lot of my clients are actually out of California, so it's it's kind of been interesting to, to navigate equine nutrition across across the U. S. It's not the same here as it is there. The same right. products aren't available, so that's frustrating for a horse owner, you know, what someone's telling you to do may not even be available for you. So well,
0: it, and I feel like it changes state to state because what's in our soil here, what's in our haze here, what's like the weather related, mm-hmm. like just all of that kind of plays a part in what the horse needs.
1: Yeah. Feeding management practices are just completely different. It's really interesting. So I do offer, Private consulting on the side and then I also run a retirement boarding facility at my house. So
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. you have quite a few yes things you offer. <laughs> so if someone was curious about nutrition consults, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Um, I do have a Facebook right now. I haven't really launched the website yet. It's been pretty new and really been trying to take care of of Elk Grove Milling as far as that kind of thing goes and and just slowly branching out on my own. But I do have a Facebook. You can reach out to me personally or professionally on, on my consulting Facebook.
0: Is what you do with Elk Grove Milling kind of where you want it to be or is there kind of growth in the future with that?
1: I think there is growth in the future, both with our company and also just still expanding my knowledge. It's hard to look back and see all the horses that I've been involved in and realize what maybe could have helped them then and, and not know, which we aren't born knowing everything. that's nope. the joy of learning and, you know, pursuing our passions. So just continuing my knowledge and, you know possibly pursuing some other educational options. There's a group out there. It's the American Registry of Professional Scientists professional animal scientists. Um, so recently tested and got that certification. So that's cool. Yeah. And their big thing is, is just doing the continued education just because, you know, I graduated college doesn't mean that's the end of the road. So in order to be involved in their organization, you have to earn so many credits per year to stay active. That's kind of fun. You kind of have to go through their website and find all the courses you can take that still qualify and, you know, stay active and, it's great because science is always ever-changing, you know? Like Definitely. Struggling with my horse with ulcers back then, it wasn't a thing, and now it's literally commonplace. The main thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just go to the feed store, buy your tube of ulcer guard, and you're done. You yeah. know, it wasn't like that. So following the science is, is something that I think, you know, we always have to pursue.
0: Is there anything else within your trajectory that kind of has made you who you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would have to say just you know, pursuing the opportunities that open doors from a a financial standpoint, you know, just going through the motions, paying for school and, and taking all the right things wasn't really an option. So I think having to work full time while going to college full time, while trying to, you know, manage a job and manage my horses and put everything together really kind of put that drive together for me to just keep pursuing work hard something that people always say once they kind of figure out everything that I do so like how do you have enough time in the day I think about it like my second eight hours you know you have your eight hours for your job you sleep eight hours maybe I wish (laughs) (laughs) but what do you do for your second eight hours and for me that's my horses and you know helping the horse community helping solve problems you know I've rescued a few horses and just seeing how much you can help even just on a small scale. We can't save them all, but we matter to the one that we did. So, you know, being able to offer answers and support and turn something around has really been awesome.
0: Yeah. And is there something that, in your opinion, you've noticed a lot of, quote unquote, the common horse owner feed that you wish they educated themselves more on?
1: I would say... Just touching on the sugar aspect, if your horse doesn't have a metabolic condition, don't necessarily be scared of sugars. Glucose, I mean, is the powering, you know, the fuel for every horse. So when you take that away because you hear all this conversation about low NSD, low starch, low sugar, but you have a sport horse that's completely fine and not metabolic, not insulin resistant, doesn't, you know, have Cushing's, PPID, that type of thing. Don't be so scared of sugar because they actually need it for their job. But I would say probably my biggest thing would be understanding feeding directions and feeding rates. I see that a lot with the consults I do is they'll feed the scoop that comes in the bucket. But, you know, of course, and and you wouldn't expect the average horse owner to have the science background and all the things, but that may or may not be giving your horse what it needs. And there is a lot of frustration with, you know, if you're walking down the supplement aisle, some things are milligrams, some things are grams, some things are PPM, and it's not the same at every supplement you look at. So how do you even know as a consumer that that's, that's what you need? But I, I come across a lot of people that'll feed a scoop of this or a scoop of that, but the feeding directions, you know, they need six to eight pounds of that to, to meet the requirements for that product. And so you're trying to do the right things, but understanding how that product's supposed to be fed or if you're feeding it with a supplement, how those go together. You know, a lot of people are frustrated with hot horses or spooky horses. Don't just go feed more magnesium. That's probably not the answer. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, really taking a look at the whole picture and not just trying to target little pieces with a bunch of supplements. We really like to overdo it, but it's because we love them and we want to find that solution for them. But a lot of people are really overdoing it and but the price of everything to feed our horses these days, it there may be a cheaper option that's gonna do more for you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good answer. So let's go into the question what is something within the community that you wanna see evolve or change and then how can you help with that change?
1: I think as a community, we need to offer better resources for horse owners and, you know, better not necessarily tools or, you know, flyers or brochures or those kinds of things, but just being able to offer that service to horse owners like you said how does an average horse owner even find out this information because it is it is hard you know as as the professionals come together as a team you know equine science society is great i mean they have a whole conference and everyone from all walks of horse life go there and so being more accessible to the average horse owner creating those programs you know western states horse expo in sacramento is, is starting to kick off again. And, you know, I think they have a new vision for that as well. So being able to get the information to the average horse owner is something that as an industry, I think we need to figure out how to do that in a more efficient way. I think
0: it's hard because there's just so many opinions and so many different routes that like, you know, one vet compared to this other vet, they might both be great opinions, but they're completely
1: different. Yes, 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 absolutely. So Trying to streamline it somehow. And there is a million ways, you know, for example, there's a million ways to balance a horse's diet using a bunch of different things. So, you know, you just have to find what's practical for you, works for you, fits your budget, fits your horse, what's available. But, you know, as, as professionals, how can we streamline and help our horse owners? The, the end goal is we're just trying to make a happy horse that can go do its job safely, sound, not be in pain and provide for the horse owner that loves them. We all have the same goal at the end of the day, is to have a healthy, happy horse for these people to enjoy. And, you know, it could be a Grand Prix dressage horse, it could be my weekend trail riding pony, you know, it doesn't matter, they, they all matter the same.
0: Yeah, and then the way you're doing this is what you do for work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you still show and ride yourself as well? I do, sort
1: of. <laughs> I am kind of right in the middle of reinventing what I'm doing with my riding career. So I grew up doing hunter jumpers, which I love, but I had a riding accident where I broke my back and that's kind of derailed things for me, you know, to clarify, my horse absolutely did nothing wrong. It was 100% a hundred percent a co-pilot error. <laughs> <Ride> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I made some very key mistakes. And, uh, so, you know, and, and that's been hard for me with her is, is we have a fear issue from me. And she's a very sensitive, very connected mare. And so her and I have a lot to work on. And, you know, of course, you always hear like, oh, you should just sell your horse if there's, you know, like fear. And, and I've thought really hard about that, that maybe I can't get past this. And I'm just creating drama in her life because she is so sensitive. But I'm not ready to give up on that yet. So we have to find something else to do. So I've been looking at... You know, working equitation, western dressage, cowboy dressage, trying to reconnect my relationship with her a little bit because she is a sweet horse. I rescued her, so you know, it's it's hard for me to make that decision to sell her and send her down the road to someone else because I don't know if that's the right answer for her. At the end of the day, is she just as happy as she can be being a pasture horse? Probably. I don't know that she really cares. <laughs> she just enjoys companionship and, and having fun. I also have my western horses and They've been kind of a great safety net for me to keep me riding. They're super steady eddies. I love them. They're young, but they're kind of old souls. And so they're super safe, not nearly as animated at life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So um, I've been kind of getting into ranch riding with one of those. And my other one I used to do drill team with. And we showed the English pleasure circuit at a, at a local schooling show a few years ago and we ended up champions. That was kind of a nice little confidence boost for me that I can still ride my horses and stay in the saddle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I don't really know where I'm going with it, but I just have been trying really hard to remember what I love about them and why I enjoy it and try to navigate the fear aspect
0: Yeah, I think it's a super common thing for people to have an accident and then to have fear and to kind of, at least for me, to hone in on what the fear is about. If it's, like, fear of getting hurt again or fear of being in the hospital or, you know, like, actually honing in on what it is about the fear. And then to, in my mind, I try to recognize, like, the universe works the way it needs to. And so it is unlikely that something like that will happen again, but to really, like, work through everything about it
1: yeah that's interesting you say that because I thought the fear was falling and a few years ago I've since started my two quarter horses since that accident and so you kind of you know taking on young horses starting them you expect to have issues but I try to bring them along appropriately as best I can like I said I'm an Mm -hmm. amateur and not a professional but I was trail riding my little quarter horse one day and she was kind of being silly and kind of snorty it at a sprinkler And so I was just kind of giving her a hard time. I didn't realize hindsight, which it should have been obvious from the beginning, she got bit by a rattlesnake when I first brought her home. And so I didn't connect the dots. Why are we so spooked at this sprinkler? It's just a sprinkler. You live with an automatic water. Like, it's the same
0: same noise. yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, so I just kind of patted her on her mane and kind of shook her neck a little bit. And she buried her nose between her knees and broke in two. And I tried to stay on, but I didn't. And I hit the ground pretty hard. We were on a gravel road, so it was not the best. But, you know, after I got her settled down and everything, and, and I kind of, you know, stood there. And I was like, huh, it wasn't the fall that I'm scared of. So, like, what am I afraid of? And I don't actually know the answer to that question yet. So that's something I'm trying to discover is, you know, what, what is the issue I got right back on her. I haven't had any problems. I'm not scared of her. Interesting. So, yeah, it's interesting
0: that you had that experience and kind of reflected
1: all of that too. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I don't know what I'm afraid of yet, but I know it's there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And whether, and it's nice to me, it's good also when the fear comes up to recognize where it is in your body too maybe oh. if like next time you ride your mare and like the fear does arise like try to pinpoint like where you feel it
1: yeah too. that's interesting different strategies yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah I have no idea what it is I don't know what the trigger is you know I had my first ever panic attack I was at a, a training for animal rescue for for you know the wildfires that we unfortunately have and they played this motivational video and it was all just people having show jumping accidents and the whole thing and I had never had a panic attack and I didn't know what was happening I was like here I am in the middle of this room full of a bunch of people learning this training and I was like I'm having a problem I don't know what's going on what was happening um I just started not being able to breathe and really wanted to just you know break down in tears the whole deal so I just started drinking my water bottle because you can't cry when you're (laughs) drinking water
0: so I literally got to keep the water in <laughs> yeah. while it's
1: coming out. I literally was so like channeling into drinking my water bottle. Don't cry. Like hold it together, hyperventilating, all like hot and sweaty. And I was like, if the person sitting next to me looked over, they're probably, you know, what is wrong <laughs> with her? I'm over here just having a whole moment and uh, kind of walked through it. And then we went on break and I went out and I, I told my husband, I said, I think I just had a panic attack. He's like, really? Like, what happened? And I was like, I don't know. Like, it was a motivational, like, uplifting <laughs> video, but it was all, you know, thrills and spills on horses. And it, like, just sent me somewhere, you know? It was super bizarre. And um, kind of the same thing. I was I was at um, Night of the Horse at Del Mar on a, a drill team I used to ride for the California Cowgirls. And we were warming up, literally 15 minutes about to go in for showtime. And our head rider with the whistle fell off and, and broke her wrist. And I mean, she's like the core of our team. She literally gives us the directions oh, with no. the whistle. Yeah. So, and so ambulance comes and it was a whole deal. And I kind of like felt that panic. But again, I was like, hold it together. Like we're out of performance. We have a whole team. Keep it together. So I rode off, you know, by myself with my horse in the corner and just really tried to focus on breathing and calming down. And... I realized if I was by myself at that moment, I would have gotten off and been done. But I couldn't let my team down, so I had to stay. And I thought that was super interesting to me that that was a deciding factor. I was okay with letting myself down and putting my horse away and and going and having a moment, but I couldn't let the team down. So that, that year was really interesting, and I honestly think riding drill that year, being in a team environment, really saved my riding. Because I couldn't let them down when I started having insecurities and, and issues. And, you know, it's it's just kind of interesting to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm.
0: Because a
1: lot of horse events aren't, aren't team events. You know, we honestly compete against each other. Yeah, It's not like a camaraderie effort of, you know, making sure everyone's okay. And, you know, I think drill team gets overlooked a little bit. But it's, it's actually great to have that support. And, you know, if you're struggling and your teammate can ride by you and be like, hey, like, you're okay. Like, breathe. Like, move move on like you're doing okay Mm -hmm. you know so it's it was really awesome to have that support from that team and now I'm on a on a flag team that just started up we're called the Liberty Bells (laughs) and uh we've done a few parades and things and just having that camaraderie it's just really nice to you know go have fun something do something fun with your horse don't always do something show ring and competition and you know really worry about that ribbon how are you going to place are you prepared what are you doing go find something fun to do it's it's almost taken me completely out of the show ring, to be honest. I really enjoy my horses. I really enjoy riding with my friends and having teamwork and network. And, you know, if one of our horses is, you know, shows up lame and we're going to an event, they're going to bring their extra for you. So it's just kind of, it's kind of nice. It's been a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah, it's nice to have that camaraderie and that team mm-hmm. approach to it. And I totally, yeah, a lot of the showing world, which works for some people but yeah even dressage hunters all of it you're yes you have kind of your barn that comes with you and cheers you on hopefully (laughs) but (laughs) if they don't you need a new barn (laughs) (laughs) yes but to have yeah to have that group that then goes out and like you all are winners or you all unfortunately didn't win but get to talk about what you could have done better or Mm -hmm. you know I think that's that's great to have
1: yeah that's
0: cool that it made such a big impact on you
1: Yeah, I think it honestly saved my, me riding, truly. You know, I had two young horses and then my thoroughbred and it was kind of a dead end for me at that point, but I had some safe horses that I could hop on and, you know, keep working through things and build back up, so, and that was, you know, three years ago, so, still have a lot of work to do and it gets frustrating at times, but if I look back and see how much work I've put into just being confident and staying on horses that, you know, we have the time we're allowed to have, you know, we hope we have all the time in the world, but. Right. <laughs> Gotta appreciate what we do have. Exactly, exactly, and and not get stuck and frustrated about how far you haven't come because you're ahead of where you were yesterday, so.
0: Right, I know it's a good reality check whether you own a business or have a horse mm-hmm. or whatever it is to kind of we all kind of strive for that not all but a lot of us strive for that next step or if you're if you started a business and you're like okay what can i do next but also to kind of hone in and reflect on i got here like to appreciate it and not just continue to step forward yeah it's good for us to kind of continuously go back and forth
1: yeah and i think sometimes you know we unfortunately project our frustrations onto our horses and, you know, if we just respect them for trying, I mean, they always try, you know, we can't take advantage of that. So be appreciative. They tried a little harder today than they did yesterday. If they didn't understand it, then how do we help each other learn what we're trying to do?
0: Yeah, it might be the way you're asking, not necessarily what they're offering.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, you know, don't don't take it all for granted just because you're not where you wanted to be. And, you know, appreciate Things and the moments, and and you know, enjoy them.
0: And you get to ask me one question. So, is there something you don't know anything about me,
1: which is fun? So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, wide open on the questions. I mean, I guess going with the theme of things, you know what what do you feel you know about equine nutrition, or you know how confident are you as a horse consumer to walk into a feed store and purchase a bag of feed? or pick a supplement? I mean, how, you know, how do you know what you're buying?
0: I ask friends that I trust in terms of, I've, you're the first equine nutritionist that I've met. Um, So I have a friend, a close friend of mine who has done a lot of research, a lot of studying, is a healthy person herself, which I pay attention to as well. Yes. And she's had multiple horses that have had all sorts of different varied diets and you know she goes the all-natural route and blah 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 and so she is someone who i've consulted with um in terms of what she would feed my horse or you know her opinion of this or how much i should do of that so and i don't do much research just because i'm scared of google most of the time and there's just too much info on there So, yeah, most of my, what I feed my horse is just, I pay attention to how he's feeling, what his poops look like, Mm -hmm. you know, how he's feeling under saddle and then, or his coat and, you know, the look in his eye, all the things. Yeah. That's really, like, the route I've taken. And then just, you know, if I have a body worker come out or if I have a vet and he has leaky poops or he has different things, like, just paying attention. Yeah. I think is the biggest thing and knowing thy horse like, just knowing my horse specifically, there was a time, so he's in an acre pasture, and there was a time where he had a mild gas colic, and I wasn't sure what was going on, don't know what changed, but I was like, okay, maybe it's the grass that's coming in. So I cut off some of the grass, and that seemed to help, and I put him on some a gut supplement, and that seemed to help too, and so just kind of trying things and like leaving it you know doing it for three months or two months or however long and if I don't see a difference trying something else but yeah I think the main thing is just really paying attention and knowing him and having people to ask
1: yeah I think I think you touched on something super important just from you know both what I see professionally and and running the barn that I have at home is be a present horse owner know your horse's vitals know what it looks like when things aren't starting to be right
0: or how many poops they have a day. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Be a present horse owner and, and know what you're feeding. I mean, even just to help a vet out, you know, the the vet should be one of the first people you call when you start noticing problems, be able to tell them what brand of feed you're feeding, not, oh, it's in a pink bag, you know, help them help you know what you're feeding, know what your horse's normal looks like you know a lot of vets are willing to completely help you and track your horse's vitals and do those kinds of things you know have have a relationship with your vet that you know they know what your horse's normal looks like too it helps them diagnose or problem solve you know like you mentioned with your your trusted friend look at what the people are doing that are giving you advice do they struggle with hot horses or flighty horses are their horses maybe a little too skinny are their horses maybe overweight you know, how do they conduct themselves as as a healthy person or, you know, really, really be serious about knowing where your advice is coming from.
0: Well, and even just because she has a PRE just as I have a PRE. So even, even that plays a part for me, the fact that she has the same breed of the horse that I have. And so, yes, the same breed can have a completely different diet, but also she knows a little bit about this specific breed as well. And it's hard because not everyone can put their horse on an acre pasture or not all horses can be on grass. And there's so many variables. Something that I've done is I have kind of an Excel spreadsheet calendar because every season is different too, right? Like my Mm -hmm. horse, I barely have to feed him in like spring and fall because of the grass being out there and stuff. When winter, I feed him a little bit more hay because of the cold and blah, blah, blah. But having my spreadsheet to where I'm like, okay, this time last year, he had a mild colic. You know, let's see if he does it again next year. It might be seasonal. It might be this. It might, you know. Mm -hmm. And so just having, for me, that's helped a lot with paying attention actually to when I, when I give him a dewormer, when I cut off the grass so he can't have as much when was the last time he got this vaccine, or when did I change his feed over to alfalfa pellets and not this, or, you know, all of those things, having, I'm a little bit OCD, but, like, having, having kind of, like, a a yearly outlook of, like, when I changed things, and then being able to, because sometimes you put him on a supplement, and you completely forget when you started that supplement, and then you're like, oh, I have no idea if his coat got worse or better, Yeah. In the few months that he's been on this, because I don't remember
1: when it started. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. I love that. That speaks to my heart right there. Uh (laughs) You know, being, being able to know your horse in all seasons, like Mm -hmm. you said, you know, being able to track those things and know, and know your pitfalls. I mean, all we can do is, is monitor them and wish for the best. But if you have a certain trend that happens two, three, four years in a row there's something going on that's Mm -hmm. not just one, a one-time thing. So, you know, the sooner we can start noticing things are going wrong, the sooner maybe, you know, we don't always have to, you know, retire them when they're super old because we miss some missing links along the way, you know, if we can catch things sooner and solve the problems, you know. Preventative. Yeah, it might give you some few more years and that's really something I think we all want, you know. As many years as possible. Yeah, whether, (laughs) you know, and you don't look out the window and it, hurts to see you watch them walk across the pasture hurting you know so the more we can give them I think makes us all happy
0: yeah definitely well cool thank you for chatting with me yeah thank you for having me
1: hello again
0: and thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of stable connections the podcast this is your host Shauna Burke and if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more don't forget to tune in every Monday morning for a new episode Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to sponsor an episode, please visit www.stableconnectionsthepodcast.com. See you next week.